And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and, and I hope you do, uh, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, so, you know, before we get into our study, I do want to uh, thank you for praying for me. Uh, so, you know, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but I, I'm feeling better, and so I, I praise the Lord for that. I was listening to the service uh, last Sunday, you know, in my hospital bed, and I heard Craig talk about how I probably, you know, regret preaching on suffering um, the week before, and I need to learn a, a lesson there, and he's probably right, so I've just decided to let him preach all those passages from now on. And I think that that's probably a good solution. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it on that. Uh, but seriously, thank you uh, for your prayers. They were appreciated. But uh, today is an important day for our church because today we are partaking in the Lord's Supper or communion together as a family. Uh, that, along with believer's baptism, give us the two ordinances that, that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church and the passage that we just happened to get to in our study of 2 Corinthians today, it's chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 15. They're actually a perfect lead-in to what we will be doing later on in the service, because we're going to get some Lord's Supper prep from Paul this morning. That's actually the title of today's message. And he's going to show us very simply how to live a life that is always prepared. And, and really, that's, that's just the key to success in the Christian life. It's sort of the old adage, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready, Amen. right? That's, that's for some of you young bucks out there. You should, you should get that down. But that's exactly the lesson that we're going to learn from Paul today, how to stay ready in service to the Lord. And it just comes through, this is going to be a very simple, hopefully very practical message. It comes through a, a consistent personal examination of three things, of three things in your life. But we get this lesson from Paul as he's kind of wrapping up this. We, we, in chapter 10, we kind of took a transition in this book. And he started calling out some, some specific people, some false apostles that he was dealing with. And, and we're getting to the, to, to the end of the book. And he's kind of wrapping up that stage that, that he's been doing since chapter 10. And he's kind of starting to enter into the conclusion of this letter. And he's exposed those false apostles for who they are. He's bragged on himself to prove his own apostleship. Now, that bragging had to do with his suffering that he dealt with and his own selflessness, that sort of thing. Not your typical boasting topics, but, but that's Paul. And now he's beginning to, to put a bow on this letter. And he's going to rehash a little bit of familiar ground, but he's also going to express some final concerns. And it's a very personal section of Scripture in the midst of a very personal book, a very personal letter from Paul. And I believe this is part of the reason why this section of Scripture provides the tools for us to stay ready for the Lord's Supper, just to stay ready and stay consistent in our service to the Lord. Because communion is very important and is a very personal act. It's about our intimacy with the Lord and how that extends to others within this church. You know, unfortunately, I think the average Christian today, the average church members, miss the importance and they miss the significance of the Lord's Supper. And, and they miss this truth found in Luke chapter 22 and verse 15 when Jesus was sitting with his disciples at that, that, that last Passover meal before his death. 
And he says in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You see, this is not only to be done out of duty. This is also to be done out of love, based on his desire. I want you to know very clearly this morning, it is the Lord Jesus Christ's desire to meet with us today at this table. And he's therefore not only commanded, but he has requested our presence. And yet, many don't understand that. I'm afraid many don't care. And many see it as nothing more than a church ritual. And when you, when you view it like that, you miss everything about it. You miss the importance through the picture. And the picture is what keeps you grounded where you need to be. So, so for example, I have pictures of my family in my office upstairs. You know, why is that? Is it because, because I forget what they look like and I, I need to remind myself from time to time? I mean, of course not. That, that's ludicrous. But I have their pictures because I want to be reminded of them continually. I love them. I want to be able to focus on them. And that's what understanding spiritual pictures does for you too. And biblical principles, and this is such an important one, an important picture that God gives us today. And it's so important for us personally and for us collectively as a church. So, so that's, that's, that's the first part is understanding the importance. And then the next part is being ready. Listen, the Lord desires this meeting with you and with me. So you don't want to show up looking like a mess. I mean, if you've been invited to dinner with your boss, say, even if, if, even if that person is a personal friend, you're going to take a little bit of time to pre prepare yourself, right? I mean, I, I trust you're going to at least look in the mirror, make sure things aren't too crazy. Well, I, I think our Lord deserves that same courtesy. For us to spend time preparing our lives so that we don't partake in the Lord's Supper unworthily. And, and like I've already told you, Paul gives us a good template this morning to do just that. And if we do it consistently, I believe we're able to stay ready. So let's look at our passage, and then we'll dive into the details. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 11 through 15. Paul says, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. It is just Paul's awesome sarcasm there. It's just beautiful. But uh, forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. For the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you this morning um, understanding and acknowledging the importance of the day, uh, the importance of, of what we're going to do together uh, through your desire to meet with us this morning in, in this, this communion table where we focus on you and focus on what you did. And we remember um, what it is and what it should mean to us as individuals and what it should mean to us as a church. So, Lord, I, pr I pray that you use this message to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds, 
uh, to, just to be able to grasp uh, all that's going on today. Lord, I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray that it is, it is glorifying and honoring to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit does the work that only he can do and the word of God does the work that only it can do to change us and to, to mold us to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to get a very simple very practical lesson this morning on, on being consistently prepared, uh, and it involves examining our lives. It involves examining our lives in a few areas. Paul, this is a principle throughout Scripture. Certainly Paul talks about it. He's going he's gonna to mention it again in chapter 13 and verse 5 where he says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But, but Paul is saying here, we need to examine ourselves. This is something we need to consistently do. We certainly know, those of us that have been Christians for a while or have been around the church for a while, that we are to do that specifically in preparation for the Lord's Supper, according to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, speaking specifically of the Lord's Supper. He says, let a man examine himself. We'll talk about that later on. But here's where it starts. We need to examine ourselves in, in three specific areas. First, you need to examine your focus. Examine your focus. And we're going to get to what all that means, but, but let me bring you up to speed uh, to where we're at with this passage. Again, Paul, like we just talked about, Paul has gotten through some of his bragging, mostly in chapter 11. He's bragging about all the things he lists in 2 Corinthians 12.10, in his infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. And he takes pleasure in those things because when he is weak physically, he is strong spiritually. And that is one of the inconvenient truths of the Bible. It's what we talked about a couple weeks ago re regarding suffering, and I, and I call it an inconvenient truth because it's a truth that I kind of wish wasn't true. <laughs> I, I, I just assume not, not wish, wish that it wasn't true. But it is because if used properly, suffering can be a great tool in our life and in our spiritual growth. First Peter 4.1 it says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And I'm not going to re-preach my message from two weeks ago. Don't worry about that. But I, but I point this out because when suffering is not handled properly, one of the things it attacks is our faithfulness and our focus. It attacks our faithfulness and it attacks our focus. Our focus on what we should be doing, how should we should be serving the Lord, what our attitude should be in the midst of all of it. Because in those times when we don't view suffering biblically, our focus very quickly moves from the spiritual to the physical. And we're focused on, on physically what we're dealing with. And, 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 and certainly you have to deal with, with the physical, of course. But, but God wants our, us, our focus, our primary motivation to stay spiritual. And so when it comes to preparing for the Lord's Supper, you have to do it in a spiritual way. There has to be a spiritual focus. Because you don't prepare by examining the physical. You don't make decisions on your spiritual health with physical evidence. 
No, what Paul is focused on in the midst of all these things he's dealing with throughout his ministry, particularly his ministry to the the Corinthians, is to serve the Lord with a spiritual focus, even in the midst of all of it. He was focused on doing exactly what God called him to do, in spite of everything that was going on around him, and doing it with all patience, according to verse 12. So let's look at the progression. Look back at verse 11. So I'm become a fool in glory. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So Paul says, I've made a fool of myself, taking this time to, to brag, these last two chapters, to brag about myself. Now, again, of course, he's bragging about things nobody else would brag about. But he considered it the mark of a fool. Now, he does blame the Corinthians. He, he, says, he says to them, You've compelled me. You've made me do this. Right? Because they should have, you should have commended me. You should have recommended me. They should have been bragging about him. And the reason why is because Paul was exactly who he said he was. He was an apostle. He said, and nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles. And we talked about what that meant a few weeks ago. But the fact is, Paul did have all the apostolic signs, and he performed all of them before the Corinthians. Look at verse 12. He said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And they were obviously wrought by Paul. Now, the role, we're not going to take a lot of time on this. Well, this, this will be a topic for another day, but... But I want to talk about the role of an apostle for, for just a second. It's a very specific one in the Bible. The, the original 12 disciples became apostles when they were sent out by Jesus. Now, they were solely Jewish-focused, those original 12. You can see that in Matthew chapter 10, where we have the first mention of the word apostle in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 2. But I want, I want you to see what Jesus commands them to do as he sends them out. Starting in verse 5. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and and in any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Now, now those were some of the signs of the apostles. They were given some very specific commands and some specific powers in that that time to to tell people that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And those were some apostolic signs in general, and Paul had them too. But this group, this original 12, clearly had a different focus than Paul. Paul said he was an apostle born out of due time. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 through 8. He said, after that, he was seen of James. He's talking about Jesus. Then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. That's one of the, the, the qualifications of an apostle was to, to see Jesus um, face to face. But he was an apostle of the Gentiles. So Romans eleven thirteen says, For I speak unto you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And so while Paul's mission was not the physical, Jewish-focused kingdom of heaven, and was instead the spiritual, church-focused kingdom of God, he was still just as much 
as of an apostle as those original 12. And he was able to perform the same signs and wonders and mighty deeds as them. And you see him do that throughout the book of Acts, which when this letter was written during the book of Acts. Now, Paul wasn't the only person called an apostle in the Bible outside of those original 12 and outside of Judas's replacement, by the way. Barnabas, for example, Acts 14, 14. He's called an apostle. There are others too. And, and I, like I said, we're not going to take the time to get into the specifics and the qualifications of what makes an apostle. They're, they exist, and, and we'll go through them one day. But what I want you to see this morning is that this was a calling for Paul. He was called to be an apostle by the Lord. Romans 1.1, for example, says just that. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. And since that's what God had for him to do, that was his focus. His focus wasn't even the false apostles, even though he took the time to talk about them and warn the Corinthians about them. But what Paul told the Corinthians was that in spite of everything I have gone through, I was focused on doing for you what God called me to do. And I did it with all patience, with faithfulness, with focus. And when we are able to do that, that is going to help keep us in the spiritual condition that we need to be in to bring God glory with our lives. Because our problem is God has a mission for us too. It's much different than Paul's. The, the apostolic signs are no longer in use. But God has given us, each and every believer in this room this morning, he's given us a specific job to do. And our problem is we get distracted. He didn't let anything distract him. And we need to learn that lesson, especially in this world of distractions that we face. We have to learn to stay focused on what's truly important. Because listen, distractions always lead to downfall. Distractions always lead to downfall. But Paul built his entire life around staying focused on his goal, on his mission, his calling. Even when the worst around him was happening. He stated that very clearly in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. He says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, Ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing moved him. Nothing distracted him. He didn't get pushed off course. Why? Because he was able to maintain a spiritual focus, even in the midst of physical problems. But, but, but how many times does this concept of being pushed off course describe us? Or describe people that we know. And things were going along great. Involved in ministry. Staying focused. But before you know, something changed. And maybe it was caused by something specific, some specific suffering. Or maybe you're not even sure. 
But either way, it was the result of being distracted. And other stuff just got in the way. Let's not let that happen. Let's allow the the day today, what we're going to be doing today, to bring our focus back to what God has for each and every one of us individually and, and collectively as a family. Let's stay ready for everything that God has in front of us. God has stuff for us to do. God has a plan for you and for this church. And we want to run to the finish line. Now's not the time to get distracted, especially with the physical. Stay focused spiritually on what God has for us to do. We know how easy it is for any of us, for all of us to get distracted. Now can't be the time for that to happen. So first you need to examine your focus. But after you do that, second, you need to examine your fellowship. Because we see the proper fellowship with both God and others in verse 14. Paul said, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And this is an interesting verse, and, and, and there's, a lot, you know, there's a lot we're kind of passing over just because of the time that we have this morning. But, but I want to zoom in on the phrase, I seek not yours, but you. I seek not yours, but you. And the context of that phrase d- deals with Paul talking in verses 13 and 14 about not being burdensome to them. And we learned back in, in chapter 11, that meant he didn't take any money. From them. You see that divine in verses 8 and 9 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So he said, I didn't take money. I wasn't a burden to you. And that's when he, you know, and, and that's when they were complaining about it because that's what the false apostles did. That's where he said, you know, why were you inferior in any way except that I I didn't take money from you? Forgive me. Forgive me for that wrong. You know, that's, again, that's his sarcasm in there. But but now in chapter 12, he's saying, I'm going to come. I'm coming again the third time, and I'm still not. I'm still not going to take any. I'm still not going to be burdensome to you because I don't seek yours I don't seek what I can get from you. I seek you. And listen, that is exactly how we need to be in our relationships, especially our relationship with the Lord, because that is where true fellowship occurs. And, and, and we all, any of us that have been around here for a while, we know this, but that fellowship with the Lord occurs through the time you spend with him in his word. That has to be the desire of your heart. Not just getting from God, but getting to know God. Not just yours, but you. I want to show you a verse in Matthew that I think illustrates this in an interesting way. It's Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Uh, We'll actually start reading in verse 27. But this is where the disciples see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter wants to come out to him. But there's, there's some specific I want you to see in, in these verses. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. It says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, 
it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Okay, so Jesus is out walking on the water. The disciples are, are coming out in the boat, and they, they see, they thought it was a ghost. And, and, and the Lord says, you know, be not afraid. It, it, it is I, be not afraid. Now, I want you to look very specifically at what Jesus said, and in doing so, also see what he, what he doesn't say. Here, here were his words. He said, be of good cheer, it is I. He didn't say, hey, fellas, it's me, Jesus. He didn't say, no worries here, guys, it's the, it's the Lord. In fact, he doesn't identify himself at all. He just says, be of good cheer, it is I. And Peter immediately answers and recognizes who he is. Because he says, Lord, if it's really you, let me come out there. He's saying, Lord, I know that's your voice, but I can't see your face. And I want to be able to see it. I want to be able to see you face to face. So I want you to recognize that, that Peter had true fellowship with the Lord because Peter recognized the voice of the Lord. He was close enough to him, and he, and he knew just what he sounded like, even over the winds and the waves, because he was a follower focused on Jesus. So the question is, are you? I'm not asking if you are a Christian. I'm asking you, are you a follower of Jesus focused on his voice? Are you close enough to him that you know he is your leader? John 10, 4 says, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And when I ask you if you know his voice, if you follow what he has to say, I'm asking you, do you know his word? Do you build true fellowship with the Lord by spending intimate time in the word of God? Because what this means is that the only way you can build a closeness with the Lord is if you have a closeness with the Bible. You need to love it if you want to love him. You need to spend time in it if you want to spend time with him. You need to follow it if you want to follow him. And we need to learn this aspect of fellowship from Peter because I love Peter's request. Again, the specificity of the words of God are so beautiful. It, because Peter didn't say, and this is, this is getting back to our point, Peter didn't say, let me walk on the water like you. He said, bid me to come unto thee. Bid me to come unto thee. See, Peter wanted to come unto the Lord. He wanted to be close to his friend. He didn't just want the miracle of walking on the water. He wanted the Lord. And this is such a key point to our Christian life. And it gets to our motives and our core desires for our relationships in general, but especially our relationship with the Lord. Because too many times we want the blessings themselves more than the God of the blessing. We want his stuff instead of him. And as a result, we attack our Christian walk from that perspective, trying to please God so that he will treat us right. And when we do that, our morality becomes little more than a way to use God to get the things that we want in this life. And prayer essentially becomes a good luck charm. 
a way of controlling our environment so we can live a happy, pain-free life. And God becomes nothing more than our cosmic errand boy, ready to grant our every request. And listen, that's a slanted business arrangement about you, not a covenant with Almighty God. That is not a ready walk. It is a selfish walk. We need to listen to Asaph in the 73rd Psalm, who, when he realized his selfishness, when it seemed like his enemies were prevailing instead of him, when all the physical stuff around him was caving around him, he realizes in a moment when God shows him in his word, God, he gets to his word and God shows them their end. He realizes his selfishness and he cries out to God in Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. He says, whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Listen, it is good for you and me to draw near to God, to be close to him. Peter wanted to go see the Lord, so he asked him if he could. And so let me ask you, when was the last time you made that request? When you opened up the word of God and your only desire was to draw close to him. You just wanted to hear his voice. You wanted to hear him speak to you. You wanted him and not his. You wanted what, not just what he has to offer. You just wanted that fellowship with him. And when that is your true motive, listen, when that's your true motive, you're going to get the blessing anyway. Because nearness to the Lord should always bring comfort. That's what Jesus said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And again, we try to draw comfort from so many things in this life. The only thing you should be chasing is him. You should seek to be in fellowship with the Lord. And Paul was able to do it because he, he first had that attitude with the Lord, and then it carried on to, to the Corinthians. He had that that intimate fellowship with the Lord, so he was able to take that in that vertical relationship and apply it to the horizontal relationships he had specifically here with the Corinthians. That's the context of the verse. He doesn't want anything from them. He wants them. And he gives an analogy which illustrates his point. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And of, of course the Corinthians were his spiritual children. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. That I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul was their spiritual father. And, and, you know, and now they're listening to, to all these other guys. And while that hurt him very personally, it didn't get him off focus. He was still going to do for them what God called him to do, no matter what. Because he wanted them. He didn't want that, what they had to offer to him. And he's using a, a simple universal truth that parents are to take care of their children. It's what loving parents do. Because it's what our loving Heavenly Father does for us. And why? 
Because he desires fellowship. That true intimate fellowship, he desires that with us. And that desire brings us to our, our third examination point. Because it tells us where it comes from. So third, you need to examine your foundation. Examine your foundation. Look at verse 15. Paul says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul said, I desire this, this true fellowship, what we just talked about. I desire this true fellowship with you because I love you. I love you. And that has to be the, the foundation from which everything comes from. Because when it comes to the relationships we have at this church, and when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, love has to be the foundation. In fact, when it comes to church, love is one of the great opportunities that we have. Listen, love is an attribute of God. God is love. Right? We know this. And, and in a church, it brings together people who might not normally flock together. All things being equal. So what that does is gives us a great opportunity to be just like God. To love because God is love. By loving each other in the way that God intends. This is why this aspect of the Lord's Supper and keeping us together in a bond of unity, it, it should be so important in our life. You know, baptism guards the front door to the church. It's, it's how, you know, people enter through membership and, and that sort of thing. They have to publicly declare that they have the same faith in Jesus Christ that we have. And then they do that through that, that picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord's Supper, it guards the ongoing membership of the church. Because as often as we do it, you know, four, four times a year or so, it should, you shouldn't be able to go longer than that. Than to personally examine where your love is for this body, where your love is for this family, where your love is for each other, and ultimately where your love is for the Lord. You know, John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love, love one to another. So when it comes to our sacrificial service to the Lord, like, like we see with Paul, love should be the foundation. This, is, this should be the, the foundation of everything we do. This is what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, those verses explain to us why we need to understand love as the foundation of what we do. Because if you don't understand it, then you don't understand the full purpose of the gospel. So let me explain that. God gave because he loves. Because he is love. And that love was manifested to us at Calvary. But, but here's what I mean about understanding the full, full purpose of the gospel. Because not only is it the means of our salvation, it is now the mission of our life. 
sharing the love of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world. And when we share his love to others, it shows him the love we have for him. Even when, and then when we share his love, even with other believers, obviously we, we're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that don't have it. But even when we share that love of Christ with other Christians, that should be the foundation because our fellowship, the fellowship that we have is in the gospel. According to Philippians 1 verse 5, we have fellowship because we are sons of God. That came through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our means of salvation. So when we show that love to each other, it's because of that fellowship that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Further down in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 15, we read, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out our fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So not only do we get to share his love with others as he is, so are we in this world. But we do it because he first loved us. You see, you can't share something you don't have. And if you've never experienced the love of God and salvation for yourself, then you don't have the ability to love God back. Because God's love is inextricably tied to his son. But if you have experienced the love of Christ and salvation, it now needs to become the foundation of your entire life. And then you just build off of that. That's what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ is the foundation. God's love to us was manifested at Calvary through Jesus Christ. That has to be the foundation. It has to be the foundation of everything we do. And we do what we do because we love him. We should love each other because we love him. And we love him because he loved us. Can I tell you that if you are doing what you are doing for any other reason, and you're building off the wrong foundation. Paul didn't even care that the more he loved the Corinthians, the less love he received back. And while I know that had to have hurt him, it didn't stop him. He very gladly spent all he had for them. And listen, when that is your attitude, and when that is your foundation in life, you're living in a way that is glorifying him. And that's what I want to challenge us to this morning. I want to challenge us to a renewal in mindset and how we view these things. Making sure we have the right focus, the right fellowship, and the right foundation. Because the truth is, every time we take the Lord's Supper, it ought to be a time that we renew our commitment to Christ and we renew our commitment to each other in this body. To work together in unity for the common mission, the co-mission we have in Christ. 
It's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, when he said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And the picture being painted here is a body gathered around, sharing in the bread of life together. Showing their identity in Christ with each other through their commitment to one another. Walking their life in Christ. Walking their path of growth together. And it's so important because we are a body. We are a family. And we have unity amongst ourselves that allows us to personally focus on renewing our commitment to Christ and to his mission. 